This is Jim Birch, Ottawa Buys for EcoCity, and these are Further Reflections. Mark Daniel, Guide, these are Further Reflections. This is Randall Goodfellow, Chair of Faith in the Common Good Foundation. These are Further Reflections. Welcome to the first episode of Further Reflections. I'm your host, Mark A. This podcast is a continuation of a previous podcast that I recorded from 2011 to 2013, which was called Reflections On. And that podcast focused on issues such as sustainability, uh, maybe environmental issues more broadly. We did some stuff on eco-villages permaculture, uh, spirituality, and uh, towards the end I was getting interested in shamanism, and we did at least one episode on that topic. It was mostly a mix of interview-based programs with uh, some recorded lectures uh, mixed in the mix, but uh, I found that um, the recorded lectures, the quality wasn't always the best, so this new podcast, Further Reflections, will be further continuation of the themes from the original podcast, but maybe more of a focus on the uh, recorded interviews with people rather than the lectures. And uh, when I was doing the previous podcast, people said they wanted to hear more of my voice. So I think I'll maybe do some occasional solo shows, maybe talk about some of my travels because I Traveled extensively uh, when I, uh, in my 20s, uh, teaching English as a second language, and then I did some permaculture work in Peru about six years ago. So there's some maybe some interesting stories with that. And also I thought about doing episodes such as asking people what they like the most about Ottawa, which is where I'm finding a lot of my guests, and um, then maybe putting out a, a show with different people's opinions, maybe some other shows where I do what uh, Neil Kramer and Niall Murphy of Shamanic Freedom Radio do, which is a kind of roam cast where maybe you go into nature and you record yourself and just maybe kind of like stream of consciousness type of thing and uh, see what comes of that. So we'll see for the future. But for now, I have uh, three interviews already recorded. And that will be the next um, several weeks of this podcast. I'm planning on doing it regularly, but uh, twice a month. Uh, 
I think before it was a bit erratic the schedule but if I can do it I plan to do uh, twice a month and with a regular schedule. As I said I am recording people in the local community um, on different issues uh, in Ottawa Canada and that's where I've been living pretty much since uh, 2000, late 2010 but I did also grow up uh, mostly here so uh, yeah it's uh, various reasons I think partially because I want these these voices to be heard um, I listen to a lot of different podcasts uh, and I noticed some of the same kind of guests uh, repeating on these podcasts and I I thought of maybe contacting some of those people talking about some of my interests but at the end of the day I don't know exactly what I could contribute that uh, would make you know mine stand out over other uh, interviews some people I've heard quite a lot so some of these people they probably may not have appeared on a podcast before or they may not uh, be known to a wider audience, but I do think uh, what they're saying is universal. So it's, yeah, a podcast on what I call universal themes. And the first person I interviewed was Randall Goodfellow. Randall is chair of something called Faith and the Common Good Foundation. And that's kind of exactly what it sounds like. I'm just reading quickly from the website. Uh, greeningsacredspaces.net, which is where that can be found. Uh, Faith in the Common Good is a national interfaith network founded in 2000 on the belief that our diverse faith congregations and spiritual communities can be powerful role models for the common good. Our network is composed of people of faith, hope, and spirit who, despite our differences in theology, dress, and culture, share a calling to protect our ecosystem and a passion for community service. So Randall will talk about that, and he'll talk about uh, the greening of uh, sacred spaces. He'll talk about some of his uh, personal faith. Um, he's working on an eco-spiritual retreat center. He'll touch on that. He's also a pilgrimage walker and uh, talks about some of his uh, adventures, if you want to use that word, in that realm. This podcast is very much a work in progress at the moment. Uh, the website has just been launched uh, recently. The website for this podcast is furtherreflections.net, and it's kind of had a couple of different domain names, but we're, it's uh, settled on, on that one primarily because the hosting service that I'm using uh, wouldn't accept a .ca um, domain name. So the website again is furtherreflections.net. So keep checking back for uh, more information there. Right now you can see more about the podcast. You can learn about myself a little bit. You can contact me and you can also uh, find the episode archive of the Reflections On podcast, which is being hosted on archive.org for a number of years now. So there's links to each episode with a description of what they are. Check back in two weeks for another interview with Jim Birch of the Ottawa Biosphere EcoCity. Jim is a friend of mine and I met Jim first in 2012 and I found out that he basically lived a five-minute walk from the place I was living at the time 
So we got to become friends. He invited me to attend some meetings of his organization, uh, the Ottawa Biosphere EcoCity, uh, which I did. And um, I uh, joined the organization, and I'll say more about my involvement with them uh, next time. There's also a recorded interview with Mark Daniel. Mark has uh, described himself as a guide, but he's also a sound shaman, among other things. He will talk about uh, that and uh, his interest in astrology in uh, probably episode three of Further Reflections. Uh, but for now, uh, we'll pass you over to Randall Goodfellow of the Faith and the Common Good Foundation. And uh, until the next time, this is Mark A. of Further Reflections. Sustainable Capacity Center with Randall Goodfellow. So uh, welcome to uh, Further Reflections. Thank you. So do you want to start by, maybe we'll just give a brief background, a brief overview of what you do and who you are, and then we can go on different uh, tangents after that. Very good. Well, thank you very much. Uh, I'm glad to be speaking with you today. I come from a, a fairly diverse background that's uh, been following a wavy path but it's all interconnected. Uh, my background originally is uh, agriculture and forestry in which I'm educated in and I've uh, applied that in the business world for quite a period of time. Uh, I've had a very strong uh, spiritual interest and uh, throughout that and I've taken some further education in uh, theology and spirituality both formally and informally. I have been involved at times uh, the Anglican Church of Canada um, in regard to uh, the environmental initiatives both at a local and regional and, and the national national level. I am currently chair of something called Faith and the Common Good, which is a national foundation which works with groups across the whole faith spectrum to undertake activities that benefit the common good. And what, do, what does that mean? Uh, one program we have is called Greening of Sacred Spaces, which is a matter of better using your buildings and also uh, having better environmental performance of the buildings of faith groups to reduce the impact on the, on the climate and on the environment, which, as you can see by the name Faith and the Common Good, that supports, of course, the common good. We uh, 
are quite involved in different educational programs as well as Faith and the Common Good in, re in regard to reconciliation, in regard to uh, helping faith communities um, deal with their surplus buildings. Items of that uh, nature as it, as it comes up, including things like establishing resilience centers for time of uh, severe climatic uh, distress. My background from an employment perspective, as I said, was in the private sector, uh, heading up uh, initiatives um, uh, that brought together academia, government, and private sector, as well as I've been a corporate senior executive as well in the renewable and uh, energy and chemicals area. Maybe just tell us how you became interested in some of these different things you've mentioned here, like what's... What should, why, why did you get involved with these different things? Well, as I say, I was uh, my background practically and educationally as well as both agriculture and forestry. And I was going to be a, a dairy farmer in the province of Quebec, and it, it never quite happened. I have fairly diverse interests in politics and theater and things of this nature and spirituality. And, and um, so there's no one thing pa uh, that sort of encompasses it all just that sitting on the shelf to do. So it's a matter of uh, weaving together elements that, that uh, I find to be important, particularly at this time in the world, where we're going to, things are changing so quickly, we're going to have to figure out a way as individuals and as society uh, to, to manage and be able to live through those changes as it pertains to ourselves individually as people, as society, and both in a physical context as well as the spiritual context. So it's, it's a matter of um, walking between the world of all those elements and trying to find a way to pull them together because people are having such a great challenge trying to figure out all these things that are coming at them and changing so quickly. All right, so um, and you've been interested in renewable energy, I guess, or bio, is it biomass and bioenergy and things like that? Well, utilizing bio-based materials, whether it's residual forestry materials or agricultural materials, and through various processes, converting them into building blocks, which then can be reconstructed to replace uh, things that are currently derived from fossil-based fuels. Most of our chemicals are from fossil-based fuels, right. uh, and uh, our energy is predominantly from fossil-based fuels at the moment. Talk more about your faith, maybe you, with the Anglican Church, and uh, something, I think you chaired something called Creation Matters. So you... Yeah, Creation Matters was the initiative in the Anglican Church, it's sort of a double entente there, and creation, i.e. The, the natural world does matter, and it was, and, and also the use of the word matter is, is um, the issues thereof, and the activities one has to do. I'm not as active in that per se at the moment. I needed to step aside from some of those activities as I took on the role of Chair of Faith in the Common Good. Um, there are two ways of looking at reducing the impact of uh, uh, faith buildings. And I'm not just saying the Anakin faith buildings, but any of the faith buildings is that one, there's a significant surplus of faith buildings, um, and there will be an increasing amount of uh, number of surplus uh, faith buildings. Probably 30% are already in surplus. But the ones that are operating and will continue to operate need to reduce their uh, environmental impacts uh, 
just because of the age of them, they often have very old systems in place. And then the other compounding aspect of it, when they're not fully utilized, is that any of the economic and environmental investments you put into heating or cooling or providing electricity or whatever into the building, if it's not utilized, that's also an element of waste too. And it's a matter of getting those messages out. Uh, one, reduce the amount of energy input and then making sure that whatever energy input is gone into the building is, is, is leveraged and utilized to the greatest extent possible. And there's needs um, in communities for uh, what's referred to as uh, third space. Uh, first space, generally from the concept perspective, is where you live. Second space is where you work. And the third space is where you meet others. Mm -hmm. And uh, there needs, there's just quite a bit of need yet for third space. And in some communities, because faith buildings are uh, closing, that third space is, is uh, decreasing. Uh, you'll see in small and rural towns, you know, the post office, which was a place where you meet people at times, mm -hmm. or some of the stores um, have disappeared. And so that third space, a space of interaction in the building, or even in a park, etc., I guess, uh, have, have decreased over time. And that is not good for uh, social community cohesion. Uh, an example in Winnipeg is uh, a large uh, church building would have set 1,200 at one time and they probably never needed on any occasion more than 125 recently. Okay. And uh, you know the basement area has turned into a social enterprise center. Uh, the upstairs has 26 apartments in it plus the worship area and there's six congregations using the same space. So it's utilizing things better and and it's it's all fits together both economically and environmentally and socially. And so what Faith in the Common Good often does is say, well, here's a good example. Can we inspire other people to learn from it? And here's how people went about it. So it's, it's a lot about inspiration. Do you have any examples of something more locally, maybe? Just for in case, I figure people might be listening sure. locally. This is well, one of, one of the uh, examples locally that I like to utilize you know, I said there may be a faith community still in there and the balance of the building is used for other things or and sometimes the faith community is not there but the building is still doing really good things that would have been called for in the gospel. One of the building I'm thinking about is what was referred to as All Saints Sandy Hill Anglican Church. It was back in, in 2015 that that was bought by a community group and it is now still called All Saints in sort of lower cap italics. Uh, and it uh, has actually worshiping groups in there, both Christian groups, uh, Jewish groups, and Friday prayers for Muslims, uh, which utilizes the space for part of the time. And, uh, and much of the time, those used for uh, concerts, uh, for conventions, um, there's a restaurant there, etc., but it's owned by the local community. Mm -hmm. And so it's space reimagined. Um, and interestingly, um, I'm not sure if any one of the three Abrahamic faiths, Christianity, uh, Judaism, and uh, Islam, if one group said, hey, let's, let's create a space so we can all get in, if it would have happened from the faith perspective. But what's happened is that a community member in the local community has come about and said, Let's try to make this building as usable as possible. 
and then the three faiths found themselves together at you know different times within the building. Okay, and we can shift a little bit. I know you're involved with something called broadening the base. It's that to do with affordable housing. Yes, uh, that uh, started that initiative, broadening the base itself, started in fall of twenty. Uh, when uh, we brought a, a large number of people together from different perspectives who both supply and demand, people who had supply, i.e. buildings or surplus space in buildings, with people who have demand for space, uh, such as um, uh, for, uh, for affordable housing. And we started to get the dialogue going on that, and uh, we've worked in different task groups over the last few years to evolve it somewhat and help put projects together uh, with, say, the not necessarily usual suspects. Uh, and what I mean by not necessarily the usual suspects is that um, the, uh, the not usual suspects who have real estate, the not usual suspects who would have funds that may be looking for home, etc. So, it, and what parties, even in the service providers who previously might have marched along parallel and maybe knowing each other or maybe in parallel not necessarily knowing each other but going in on projects together. Oh, great. Just a few other things here. The, there's the National Trust and Partners for Sacred Places that you've been involved with. Uh, yes, that is actually very much looking at buildings, faith buildings, walking through processes, helping find capital, or as I say, in those situations where there is a congregation remaining, but much of the space can still be better utilized, both from a time and location perspective. There are processes to go through. There are people with experience as examples. And so in the United States for probably 20, 25 years, they've had something called Partners for Sacred uh, Places. And that's been a group, of, sort of a consulting group that has worked with uh, different congregations as they address what to do with their buildings and often you address what to do with your building because you're you're starting to feel a financial pinch and we kept hearing that wow why isn't there something like that in Canada and the, the National Trust for Canada which some people may recall a few years ago was called Heritage Canada not not the uh, not not the Department of Canadian Heritage but it was called Heritage Canada and it was something that was established, well, over a quarter century ago by people like Pierre Burton and others, but it was to identify and help preserve uh, places in Canada, particularly buildings of historical and uh, cultural significance. And so as the issue of faith buildings grew, what to do with the surplus of them, rose, people kept saying, well, what you know, why don't we have a uh, Partners for Sacred Places like there is in the United States? And so the National Trust kept hearing that, mm -hmm. and Faith and Common Good kept hearing that. And so we said, let's form the Canadian equivalent of um, uh, the, U uh, the U.S. entity, uh, Partners for Sacred Places. And so we joint ventured, Faith and Common Good did with the National Trust for Canada to start working with congregations. And we've also pulled in on uh, various and partnered on various situations in Canada with the U.S. organization, and so in somewhat some sense, it's a 
uh, transfer some of their knowledge and technology to, to our Canadian situation. So many of the congregations have got to a state of um, av greater average age and uh, lower energy and, and the task at hand is quite significant and so they need, need assistance and they need to be able to turn to a trusted third party that can give them that assistance and sit on their side of the table when they're talking about what to do uh, with others about that particular building that they, they currently possess. There's different ways we could go here, but maybe you can tell us more about about your faith, about your spiritual worldview, maybe, or your some of your beliefs that you want to talk mm, briefly on. That. Yeah, well, one of the things that uh, I don't think I've uh, talked to you about previously, but I um, am developing an Eagle Spiritual Retreat Center near Westport, uh, Ontario, which is um, about an hour and a half drive from downtown Ottawa, and. I think there needs to be a lot of reconnection to creation, meaning God's creation. Um, not to be confused with creationism at all. It's it's the natural world. It is the world of um, other things, uh, of the plants and uh, flora and fauna of, uh, that's around us, because there's lots of wisdom in 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 that uh, setting, and there's a lot of people wanting to reconnect to. Um, to the uh, to creation, so I decided I bought an old hundred acre farm that's uh, had been farmed for seventy five years and uh, just developing little cabins and uh, and uh, over five kilometers of trail and a labyrinth and developing these things up uh, where uh, there will be various programs run and uh, it would be also be able to be used by different groups who want to reconnect with with the earth. It fits well with my interest in faith in the common good because, um, you know, it's, it's, I believe there's common good could be served by reconnecting with the earth. And, you know, it's very obviously connected to environment and it, it harkens to my agriculture and forestry uh, roots as well. So that's, um, that's important to me and I'm finding it's important to a lot of other folks who wouldn't necessarily, uh, they're, they're they're spiritual, but not religious necessarily, but they're doing all sorts of good things. Um, and they are things that would be called for in the gospel. And it's not that, um, again, uh, to separate religion from spirituality in the sense that religion is some codified way in which to do it that may or may not be appropriate at the present time in the, in the context of today's society. It may be, in some cases, fairly medieval or Victorian or whatever. and. Having taken a homiletics uh, course, um, I remember one of the lectures, and homiletics means how to give a sermon. <laughs> um, and one of the lecturers said, you know, our task from generation to generation is to convey the word in the way people can hear it and understand it. And I, I think we need to convey things now in a way people can hear and understand, which, which is not necessarily uh, something that was formed 500 years ago or 150 years ago. It's, it's what's now in the way that needs to be communicated and understood to people now. And I don't mean just millennials. I mean, there's a whole slew of folks my age, which is, you know, late 50s, uh, that have checked out um, uh, of organized religion, but, but, but are searching for something that they can connect to that is different than uh, what was formulated in the medieval times or Victorian times. And I think the, uh, 
the earth has a fair bit to do with them, maybe a new way of, of approaching things. And so that's where my uh, mind is at and my spirit is at. Um, I uh, also think it's time for the various pathways to the divine to uh, uh, have more reflective conversations and interaction as communities. And one of the things we found at Faith in the Common Good is that whether you are working with people of Hindu faith, Sikh faith, uh, Baha'i, uh, Christian, Muslim, Jewish, First Nations, is that the area that has the least difference of approaches is, 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 is the earth. Mm-hmm. Now, some are better at practicing care for creation than others. Some may talk about care for creation. I think Christianity has talked about care for creation, but actually has to evolve into really um, active and authentic ways of engaging and caring for creation. Um, you know, I think there's there's two things: do unto others what uh, you'd have them do unto you, and if you can uh, remember that, and then sort of take it and bend it a wee bit and say, do unto creation as what you'd have creation do unto you would be a, a good way of looking at it too. Um, so do you think that's gaining traction, that kind of thing? I, 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 I think so. I think so. I think it, it would also help with uh, reinvigorating the uh, progressive Christian views which are maybe different than fundamental Christian views. Mm-hmm. Um, I think wisdom is still happening. It's not something that uh, and God is t- ongoing and creating of things to happen. The best was not necessarily only in the past. Um, and, uh, and so if you behold into the word, the certain words, I don't mean the word of God, but certain ways things were expressed, you're beholding to some historical thing you're not open to necessarily seeing what's happening currently and i think that's that's because god is all ongoing creation ongoing new things on there's good things happening sometimes we just don't know how to see them and i I think we need to live more in the moment uh with the uh, underpinnings of what christianity brings but also um with what other pathways to the divine can bring uh, from a perspective of more deepening of your spiritual. Yeah, and let's talk about climate change a bit. Why don't you tell us how that, how you came to be interested in that? It might be obvious, but how you came to be interested in climate change, and talk about maybe faith in climate change. Yes. Um, well, uh, we've talked a bit about my background in renewable energy, and um, that obviously has a direct climate change impact, but. What I'd like to talk about, though, is those who cause climate change and those who are affected by climate change. And everybody is affected by climate change, but some are even more affected, and they're generally the people who not necessarily were responsible as much for climate change. But we're going to have this increasing number of, well, we have economic migrants, but we're going to have climate change migrants, and we're starting to see that as, as certain areas are less habitable because they're now too dry, or they're wet, or be under underwater, etc. So... Um, you know, we did a great response um, uh, to the Syrian refugee uh, 
challenge and, and the ongoing one uh, uh, that brought about by political issues, but you know, um, the changing climate, i.e. not enough water to drink, not enough food to eat, etc., is a very significant underpinning to political issues. And so we are going to be challenged even more so with climate re uh, change refugees. And we need to, one, uh, as faith groups, work on reducing the impact and making sure that the, uh, others reduce the impact. But we also know that there is going to be impact and we need to be able to adapt to that and create resilience. And we're going to need to have to respond to people who have been affected by climate change. So what's some responses maybe? I mean, you've talked about maybe some people are ignorant of climate change. Some people might be unwilling to... I don't know if anybody's change. ignorant of it. They know the terminology. Uh, terminology. They probably prefer that it wasn't happening because it rocks their boat. Mm -hmm. It, it uh, in a sense, uh, if you like what you like and it is what's causing the issue, well, maybe you need to do less of what you like. And that is hard for a lot of people. So they would rather say, no, that's not happening. I want to proceed just as like I am. We, we need to speak the truth to, uh, uh, and, and hold people accountable as individuals, yeah. as, as, their, uh, as their organizations, etc. I kind of feel like sometimes with climate change, peak oil, environmental degradation, all these things can be overwhelming and kind of uh, some people just uh, feel maybe powerless to do anything in the face of these. Yeah, well that's true. We just keep getting waves and waves and waves and waves of stuff. Um, Maybe that's why we need to be more contemplative and more contemplative and reflective so that we're not just getting waves and we, we come back from that, think about what's important to ourselves, really important, not just the moments of the day that just keep whipping by and we haven't to respond to, but what is baseline important to you? And I think that there's a role faith can, uh, can take in that. It's, it's a whole contemplative approach or reflective approach. And if we found what was really important to us, all the other stuff, all that extra stuff that you have to buy just to be told that it's going to make you happy, it, it, it becomes less important. And uh, that ultimately, we probably, we need to reduce our consumption. But that is a, um, that is a choice. That is a choice based upon, oh, I know what's important is this, this and that. The rest of the, uh, all the stuff I do that I've been told makes me happy if I buy more of, that's really not, doesn't make me happy. I think a lot of people know that. They just have to come to grips with it. And they have to have some settling in themselves that that's, that's, uh, that's okay. Yeah, maybe it's a choice, but I, I saw you wrote something about uh, basically the economic system is basically built to have continual growth on a finite planet and we need a kind of, I think you say here, an economy that serves the well-being of communities, human and non-human. Mm -hmm. Well, that comes back to what's important. And so if you have really come to a calm place with yourself about what's important, um, well then what serves those important things? 
and the economy has been built upon, you need more of this, you need more of that, we have to have more of that. And part of it is because we don't feel happy. And we've been told, well, you'll feel happier if you have the new improved version of this cell phone. You know, uh, you'll feel happier if you have the third car in your driveway, or even the second car. You'll feel happier if. And so it becomes, and you do it, and say, I was okay, I get a little shot, I feel happier. And then it wears out fairly quickly. And then you've been told, there's another thing you need to make you feel happy. We should realize that some of these addictive things are not giving the answer, are not a permanent solution for when you don't feel happy. You haven't figured out what your real elements are of importance that make you happy. And so it's at odds in a sense. Um, Again, if the philosophy is, you know, buy more. I mean, what was it after 9-11? Uh, President of the United States Bush said, go back to shopping malls and go shopping. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, go back and just keep consuming. It will make you happy to make you forget. He didn't say the rest of that, but, mm -hmm. but that's sort of the, the background to it. And so we, we need some quieter, reflective time, better understanding of ourselves that we are in control of what we're about versus having others create impulses that we, we, we have a, it's like having an itch that you have to scratch. Right? So, mm -hmm. you know, there's impulses created, we have to resist those impulses and we can do that only if we really understand ourselves. Yeah. So just a few more things here and then we'll slowly wrap up here. You keep mentioning First Nations. Um, what can we learn from them and talk about reconciliation a little bit? Sure. Um, at Faith and Common Good, uh, we work across the whole faith spectrum, um, very much with, with First Nations in, in, included within that. Uh, I guess the terminology has changed. Is it the uh, original people? Is it the Aboriginal people of Canada? Is it First Nations? It's those who um, were here before uh, European settlers arrived. and. Yeah, not that everything they did was 100% right or wrong or whatever. It's just that there's a lot of wisdom that we can reincorporate and go side by side with. Uh, one of the things that's coming up that Faith and Common Good is quite involved in is the, um, the water walk in, uh, in, in Toronto. And it uh, has people from all backgrounds, not just First Nations, but all faith backgrounds and others who would say they don't have any faith or not necessarily identifying with faith people, but identify themselves as people who are really concerned about water uh, as it affects the environment or as it, its role plays in the environment. And they're walking at the seven rivers in Toronto that come down into the Toronto Harbour. And they're starting, groups are starting different ones and walking them. And so um, when you do stuff together, you find you have more commonality. And uh, I think there's a lot of opportunity because people want to connect with the earth, want to, uh, want to keep you know, realizing that there's a more holistic approach to the interaction between you know, the water and the soil and the air and the plants and the animals and people. And um, I, I think there's a good knowledge there, a good basis to interact to help people who are not First Nations gain some uh, insights that uh, otherwise they might not have yeah. and to work with uh, First Nations as equal partners on 
these things. Okay. And I've seen you described as a pilgrimage walker on, online. I don't know if you have anything to say about it. I've talked a bit about um, being contemplative. I've talked a bit about being reflective. There are many different ways to pray. I find when I am the closest uh, to the thin space of being connected uh, to, uh, to God is when I am walking. And um, again, it's a form of prayer in a sense. You've heard of people walking on, the, on a labyrinth and it's really walking with intention of being open when you walk a labyrinth. And when you are walking for many days, 20, 25 kilometers a day, um, you're just being open to what may happen. You know, there's no predetermined, you know, I want this result. Well, if you think that's what you want, you're probably not going to get it. Uh, you'll find something else, something else will happen. but. Um, I, I like doing that type of thing, and, and I, I don't think you necessarily have to go to the designated, uh, well-known locations to be able to do that. Um, that being said, I've walked on a number of pilgrimage routes in Europe. Uh, I have not yet walked the Camino, uh, the Camino yet. Um, that is on the bucket list. But, you know, over 300,000 people walk it annually. Why do they walk it? Are they highly religious? Some may be. Some may be just uh, spiritual. Some may be, they don't know why they're doing it, but they're doing it. Um, but it gives you that time and space to not be overly busy. And things will happen. I remember when my wife and I walked the first time. It was a four-day walk, actually. Could have been five, depends how you hit the tide, because where we ended up was on an island that we could walk across if the tide was out. Uh, but we hit the tide right that time, so it was four days. And people were asking us, um, what did you talk about? You know, you were together all that time. Well, we were and we weren't. We were near each other. And we were in touch mentally with each other and spiritually with each other. And they said, well, what did you talk about? I said, well, maybe, you know, this hour I'd say, haven't seen that breed of sheep before. No, we haven't. Walk some more and something strike. Wow, look at the way the, the, the sun is just on the tips of the, that tree over there on, on that horizon. Yeah, that's something. And it's being able to have that time and place and openness to, to be able to receive. Wisdom's there. You just can't be too busy. If you're too busy, you can't see the wisdom that's right in front of you. Yeah. And God's wisdom is very well expressed in nature. Okay. Some people love music. Some people love, you know, formalized prayer. I love receiving it, or my methodology that works for me is receiving it in, uh, in, 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 in nature, in, in, uh, in creation, consecration. Okay. So we're near the end here. I was thinking of some kind of question I could ask different guests at the end, which is maybe a standard thing. I'm, I was thinking of just, because I like the cinema, I was thinking of asking you if there's any one or two movies that have influenced you in your life when hmm. growing up, something like that, or, or even later in life. Well, you've asked about pilgrimage, and a movie that I would recommend people watch if they want to get a perspective of pilgrimage is The Way. Uh, and that's the one that uh, Emilio Estevez uh, did with his father, uh, uh, 
Tom Sheen um, uh, starred in it, uh, along with a number of other actors. I guess it was a cameo by, uh, by Emilio in the very early part of it. Mm -hmm. um, well, a little bit more than a cameo, but it was a minor part. Uh, even though the rest of the movie was based upon the response to him appearing in the movie. Yeah. Uh, it gives you an idea of the transformation people may go through. It gives you what happens on the uh, Camino. Now, interestingly, there's not a lot connect to that. Uh, uh, one of the people who um, did the photography on that is, is from Ottawa originally, comes back and visits his parents now and again. Um, he also did some cameos within that. He said that filming of that movie over the month, well, along with that, the uh, filming went on, but the month actually on the Camino uh, really affected him as well. And um, he uh, he appeared in the movie, if anybody watches it, it's the big guy with the, with the long red hair that's sort of all over the place that plays the sitar in one of the scenes uh, about three quarters of the way through the movie there. So. But there's, it's interesting, you, you run into people who have stories that, you know, in that sense, that movie's really been significant for me. And the other one was, uh, and obviously watching was significant, but also for him being involved in producing it was significant. Uh, another uh, book, if you don't okay. mind, and, um, um, and this is going to sound uh, strange, is um, it's actually a play, and so there has been a movie but uh, Enemy of the People uh, by Hendrik Ibsen. Okay. I've always felt that uh, uh, one uh, expression of that that I, I recall that uh, sort of impacted me was that the minority is always right because by the time the majority sees the minority's position, the world has already changed so that it's not the right position. So the minority is always right. And that was the, one of the really early uh, plays back in the 1890s, I think it was written. And it was an environmental play. And it was about uh, water that was contaminated and how the uh, local town was, uh, uh, you know, his industry was based on tourism of, you know, the spa water and everybody come for this great spa water. But it was contaminated and they didn't want to tell people because it might hurt the, the industry. And so the person that pointed out the town doctor was the enemy of the people. So. One of, the, the, one of the expressions, the minority is always right because by the time the majority sees it, it's already too late. Okay. And I think I've always been on the minority side a bit ahead trying to get people to see things that uh, and translate what's happening so they can uh, um, feel, um, uh, you know, ultimately instead of falling into crisis each and every time. I know crisis often is only when people do things, but can you get some stuff happening before a crisis happens? We'll wrap up here. You can have some, if you have any final words, and you can also promote uh, any of your websites or anything, whatever you want to tell the listeners to check out. Uh, just uh, Google Faith in the Common Good, and Google Regeneration Works, uh, which is the program that we, uh, Faith in the Common Good, has in conjunction with um, the National Trust for Canada, which is about reutilizing face buildings or more uh, greater increase in the utilization, not just, uh, not just reutilizing, but increase in the utilization of faith buildings. It may be a good place to start. Okay, well thanks for the interview. You're welcome. <laughs>